welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach, Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you feel better, get unstuck and be more confident in your 30s. Today's episode is another guest episode, and we're really going to be talking about a topic that I personally think is at the crux of how to enjoy your life in your 30s. And this specific guest was somebody who had been recommended to me by numerous clients who had actually reached out to me and said, listen, this author has just written a book that is really relevant to you and your audience. And I think that she'd be a great guest. So I always love having podcast recommendations. So that really is a shout out to you. If you have somebody who you would love to see on the podcast, please tell me because I always take it into account. So what did I do? I went and I messaged Radhika, the guest today, and asked her to come on and she obliged. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation. The book that Radhika is going to be talking about today and the one that is relevant to turning 30 is called 30 Things I Love About Myself. And it's a book that starts where the protagonist is in prison on the morning of her 30th birthday, filled with self-loathing and low self-worth and she feels that her life has fallen apart she's just gone through a big breakup everything just feels like for want of a better word a shit show and she then decides by going into the personal development space and exploring herself on a deeper level to turn it around and really it's such a parallel with what so many of my clients and myself do and did when they turned 30 and felt like enough is enough I want to have more I want to learn to love myself I want to create a new path a next chapter and I really recommend to all of you if you like this podcast episode if you haven't already go and buy the book it's a really great read I devoured it in the space of two days on a beach holiday and it was a really fun and good easy page turny read so let me introduce this week's guest author Radhika Sangani. She's also a journalist and a screenwriter. She has written two young adult novels and her latest book has just come out. I actually think it's come out in the past few weeks and the book that we're talking about today was her last release which she released last year, the beginning of 2022, which as I said before is called 30 Things I Love About Myself. She's also a freelance journalist for publications such as The Telegraph, Daily Mail, Grazia and Glamour. And she's also a body positive campaigner and she founded a movement called hashtag side profile selfie, which when I read about it, I really loved. Also a yoga teacher and she also does volunteering. So Radhika is such a turning 30 inspiration. I really, really love hosting on the podcast authors because I just love hearing their take on also becoming published and how it was for them to follow that dream in their 30s. So let's dive into the episode. Hi Radhika and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to have you here. I, As I was saying before we started, I inhaled your book and I know that so many of my listeners and my community are going to benefit from hearing from you, hearing about Nina, who's the, the star of the book, and um, her story and what led me to you was three of my clients actually recommended you to come onto the podcast and told me about your book and said, you have to invite Radhika on. She's amazing. Her book really inspired me. So super happy that we're sitting down to talk today. 
And I guess I wanted to start off by asking about how much Nina, the main character of the book's journey, which for everyone listening starts off that it's her 30th birthday and she is spending the night in prison. And (laughs) how much of her journey is reflected in your own turning 30 journey? So I guess the biggest thing Nina and I have in common is that like, so essentially for people who don't know, actually, I'll just explain this first, is that Nina has to essentially go on a self-love journey. Like she's very much at rock bottom when she's turning 30. There's the prison stuff, but there's also the fact that she's just broken up with her long-term partner who she was meant to marry. She's got to move back home to live with her mum and her brother and her career's not going well. So it's that like rock bottom place and she's basically got no choice but to start loving herself. And she realises that that's the one thing she's not been doing. And that's the thing that Nina and I had in common that I kind of in my late twenties ended a long-term relationship with someone I thought I'd marry. I quit my stable newspaper job to go freelance, even though I'm quite an anxious person and was like, how am I going to go freelance? What am I doing? And what else? It just felt like everything in my life was in flux. Like I wasn't as close to my old friends anymore. I felt like I didn't have new friends who I was aligned with. And I really just felt a bit like, what do I have right now? And externally, it didn't feel like a lot. Um, And that's when I realized I needed to go internally. Like I needed to go inwards and start loving myself. And so that journey that I went on, that I'm probably still on, to be honest, like six years later, changed my life so much that I really wanted to write about it. And instead of writing a nonfiction book, which I thought could be a bit preachy, because like, I don't know, (laughs) it's also not like I'd done, I'd become like the Dalai Lama or anything. You know, I (laughs) I was just a woman in my 30s who now loved herself. I kind of decided to write it as fiction instead and just share a lot of my lessons and a lot of the funny things that happened to me as well, I guess, through Nina and her journey to eventually love herself. Wow, I love that. And I think it's great because there were so many lessons in the book that were like reading nonfiction, but that just Mm -hmm. came through in a more lighthearted way. So I think it was a great way for you to almost like share all that knowledge that you you gained. Yes, it worked. (laughs) Yes, it worked. It worked for me. It worked for me. (laughs) Amazing. So when you went on your journey and your your what I call turning 30 journey did you also make this list the 30 things that you love about yourself yeah I actually did I didn't do it like Nina so Nina does it throughout her journey and it's like a very conscious decision for me it sort of happened later like I don't know it's, to be honest it's a habit I do quite regularly I think it first started I remember I was 21 I was in New York for the first time I was alone and I was like oh my god I'm basing sex in the city this is so cool and I like <laughs> I sat at a bar and um on a napkin I tried to write a list of things I loved about myself because it felt really like empowering and I wrote five and they were like really shallow and awful and I was like oh god <laughs> we'll deal with this later <laughs> and then yeah I guess over the years I kind of thought about it and then when I was on this journey I was like actually I want to do a proper one and it's something I still come to like I don't have you know like a list stuck on my wall or something but it's more just I think of it as an exercise that's really useful to come to you know like almost like a journaling thing like if I'm feeling a bit bad I might want to just connect with all the things I'm grateful for about myself and my personality and the things I've built up in my life, like, I just find it quite reassuring. Yeah, because I'm sure that your book has helped so many women who are reading it to connect with the gratitude and reconnect with those parts of themselves. Why do you think that turning 30 is such a, you know, such a difficult time, such a hard transition? And leading on from that, why is it so important to go on a quote unquote journey Mm -hmm. at this time? 
So I think for me, because I can really only speak for myself, it was so hard because of expectations I had around turning 30. Expectations that were partly mine, but were partly from society of what my life would and should look like at 30. And then when I got there and it looked nothing like that, I was like, in absolute panic (laughs) even in the years running up to it it was always in my head like you know by 30 I'll have this by 30 as like this big you know benchmark and then when I got there and I didn't have it I felt like I wasn't enough and that was like that core feeling that was terrifying and I knew like okay like I have you know two choices I either carry on with my life and this is where I'm at I, I like I just you know this is exactly where I'm at I kind of don't really have a choice but to just accept it Um, So I can either accept it and my choices, accepting it whilst hating myself or whilst loving myself. Mm. And so that's when I went on that journey to be like, that's why I do think it is a journey because, you know, like in life, we're always going to have expectations that aren't met. We're always going to want things that don't pan out the way we want them to. And so for me, the one thing I always know I can have is my own back. And that's what I wanted to build up, that kind of confidence, that self-confidence, the self-belief and the self-love, the self-compassion, changing that inner critical voice in my head. Like, you should be here. Like, why don't you have this? You've done it all wrong to, okay, like, I love you. You did your best. You're where you are. Maybe you're meant to be here. Maybe there's something good about this situation. Yeah, I love that because I think so so many of us struggle with that acceptance part. I, I always talk about it in my in my coaching that, It's like when you get into that reflective mode, which often comes up before a big birthday or before a big life event, but, you know, to 30 is the landmark that we're we're here to speak about. And you realize that you want to change or you realize that something doesn't feel quite right. And then it's like you automatically want to just run ahead. I always say this is like you just want to go and change. And you're like, okay, I want to take action. I want to do all the things. I need to like get the new job or get the new relationship or go through a breakup or whatever it is. And it's like you want those external things so much, but you just miss that middle part, which is the acceptance. And I always liken it to if you're trying to build a house, you wouldn't not like make the foundation smooth. You would check if if it was bumpy and what was there. But if you were to build a house on rocky foundations, then probably the house is going to fall down after one gust of wind. And for example, someone criticizes you or, or something happens. So I think acceptance is the part that we we just miss. And and I think as a coach, I find it really hard to explain how, the how to accept. Mm-hmm. I have tools and techniques and everything to do it, but it's something that, acceptance is something that's really hard to teach. Do you have any mm-hmm. tips for acceptance and things that have helped you to be more accepting of yourself? Oh, that's such a nice question. Firstly, one thing I want to say is actually just something a friend told me that I find really helpful that sums up everything you just said is like a three word mantra, which is awareness, acceptance, action. And it's such a nice reminder for me to do things in that order. Like I become aware, I see the issue. I, I always want to jump straight to action, like you said, but I always forget that crucial step. And actually, no, a tip that has come to my mind is trying to do it with compassion mm-hmm. because for me acceptance is so tied up with understanding why something happened so say I'm in a place I don't want to be at like say I've just failed something I don't know like a work failure or something I want to jump straight to the action like how can I fix it how can I make everyone like me again and be successful again and what I need to do to accept it is first understand like why it happened. Like, okay, maybe I messed up because I was really stressed. I'm stressed because this happened. Like, can I be nice to myself? And when I bring in that compassion, it allows me to see it so much clearer and actually not feel the fear of accepting it. And then I can be like, okay, it's not my fault. And the second it's not my fault, I'm kind of soothed. 
and then I can ex- I can see the situation for what it is and I can I can accept it more because it's not so scary yeah yeah I think that that's a really hard step to do because people get afraid that they're going to blame themselves it's like you want to it's like really hard I, I always say there's like a really blurry line between taking responsibility and then having the compassion for that but then blaming and people are so bad because they just say oh I've done this thing and for example like you said you fucked up something with work yeah. and people are you know people are saying oh you've done something wrong and it's like really hard to sit with yourself in those negative emotions and then you get to the point of blame like and then you go into the the self-criticism and the self-doubt so yeah I love that leading with compassion is yeah is such a big one and something that I loved about Nina in the book when it came to acceptance that just came to my mind now as you were speaking is that she often did things where she took time out of her every day to mm-hmm. consciously think it's almost like a ceremony like in the the scene where she goes to the beach and she's with a yeah. with a crystal in her bra and she's like having those <laughs> moments and experience so funny if you've not read the book you're like what <laughs> but basically Nina goes on her spiritual journey which just honestly it, so many things made me laugh because I also went on the similar journey when I was 33 where I discovered all things spiritual and yeah like she actually takes time out of her life to accept to do things that are different and I that's how I teach acceptance to some of my clients I say have a ceremony like go outside put music on light a candle burn some things throw some things away and I think that often we just think oh we're just going to wake up one day and feel mm-hmm. better and it's like no you actually have to take time out of your life to to do these symbolic things Oh my God, I completely agree. And I just, it's just making me really like remember as well, like that this is all so much work. And, you know, it makes me laugh because sometimes my family, like my job is basically like, I don't know how to spread my job. I guess a freelance writer. <laughs> but sometimes they'll be like, what have you been up to? And I'm like, what have I been up to? Like, I've been like exhausted. And they're like, but you don't really do that much work. And I'm like, yeah, but I've been doing inner work. <laughs> and I just, the question, what have you been up to just drives me insane because I feel like people just, always want external stuff and actually often what I've been up to is like working on acceptance and like healing my past and you know I just think we really need to honor that this stuff is exhausting and now I've built up this compassionate tool um that's not the right word for it but I don't know I've built up this compassion towards myself and the ability to be compassionate I can tell myself you know this is exhausting have a rest like learning to accept your reality is the hardest thing in the whole world Mm. you know that's like essentially the spiritual journey like that's basically what Buddha (laughs) dedicated his life to and I'm expecting to just do it in like five minutes because I read this book or this Instagram post that told me to do it you know and there's this whole world now because self-help personal development life coaching therapy all this stuff is like I guess having a moment in the past few years I think a lot of people just think it will be easy and it's like oh I'll just book in some therapy sessions or I'll just go to I don't know a retreat somewhere and then I'll come back healed and they think it's almost like a button that you press (laughs) I see this a lot and it's so true what you just said and it is it's so ongoing it's such a journey you even said it at the start when you introduced yourself you you said that you know it's still ongoing my turning 30 journey like it's it never ends you know and I feel like that's true for your whole life I'm doing things so yeah it is it is tiring it reminds me of a funny meme that I saw on Instagram that was like I think it was like taking the piss out of Gen Z's but it was saying how they were asked for what's it called maternity leave to work on their inner child and I was like yes this is what we all need we all need time off work to work on our inner children I completely agree and you know what actually the humor thing is so good because I often bring humor into things when I'm trying to accept stuff you know it might not always work initially or with really really big things but there comes a point where when I'm trying to accept something difficult, like a breakup or something, right? Like 
at first I do have to deal with that abject grief or pain but then there's a point where I need to laugh and I just need to be like okay here I am again (laughs) yeah oh my god I love humor as a tool for self-acceptance and just a humor just for everything really that's just like in life there's so we experience so many emotions the spectrum of emotions that we experience and just laughter and playing and enjoying life and having light-hearted moments just yeah you're right completely change everything sometimes it's a choice right like this the other day I got three parking tickets not one but three. Oh and my god I, I was like livid I felt every negative emotion you could feel and like so much self-blame you know and oh. then I was just like well they do say like good things come in three like maybe something and I just right. started laughing and just it made everything better again you know just that lightness and it made things manageable that's what happened. And I used to think humor was kind of a negative coping mechanism, like deflecting from feelings. But a therapist once said to me, he was like, I actually think it creates space for more emotions. Like it enables you to actually breathe through it and then feel everything. Mm, and I think I that was that. cool. Yeah. yeah, I really love that. So you mentioned before briefly about your family asking you what you do for work. And I know a theme in the book with Nina is that her family or her mum in particular was quite big on the expectations of her and often was upset at the direction that her life had gone in. Can you share a little bit more about that? If that's something that you also experienced and how the pressure and expectations have been emphasised or almost made bigger because of the community that you grew up in? For sure. I think firstly, probably most families do this in some way. I think especially as you said, you know, the turning 30 thing is such a big thing in our culture as a whole. But I do think that like different communities, you know, have other stuff going on as well. And I'm British Indian and that's what I made Nina so I could explore that as well. And I think for me growing up in that community, like I grew up in London in a particular, in a not very like Indian part of London. It but I had a lot of cousins and relatives who lived in Leicester, which is where Nina lives, which I always saw as like a little mini India. And it was just so interesting for me, like feeling, I don't know, just feeling those differences and just how it often felt to me growing up, like there was one way to live because so many people just did the same, just lived their lives in the same way. And nobody ever said to me, you have to live your life in this way that we're all living our lives in. But I just on some level, like absorbed that that was what I was meant to do. And when I wasn't, I felt like, oh God, am I doing it all wrong? Wow. Uh, I just want to say, sorry to interject, but it's like word for word, what you just said is how I would describe my experience of growing up in a Jewish community, because I speak about this a lot on my podcast, but for those of you who this is the first time listening, I grew up in a secular Jewish community, which means that nobody ever gave me a book and said, you have to follow these laws. It was just expected that things would be done in that order. And I'm not sure about you, but my parents were extremely liberal. They didn't sit me down and say, okay, at this age, you have to be married. At this age, you have to do this. It was just implied. And it was often just based on what everyone around me did. The people, like, I always say it was almost based on what my really close friends, siblings were doing. Mm. And, you know, it was like, you'll become a lawyer, an accountant or a doctor. They were kind of the only options that were really (laughs) presented and, you know, (laughs) lots of coercion there and everyone was expected by the age of 26 27 to be settled down move to the suburbs have a really really secure job and I think that again exactly want to repeat what you said these turning 30 pressures don't just exist in the Jewish community the Indian community and other communities that they're really universal and I know that from speaking to people about it 
all day, every day around the world. But it's younger, I think, for in, in Judaism anyway, in, in the secular community. 30 and being a woman who is single is, is considered old. And I really felt it. It was something that I really struggled with. But I really like what you said that nobody told you to do it. It was just implied. It was just expected. And I have to say on reflection, that's been one of the hardest parts of my journey is being different to my community. And now I'm on the really on the other side of it, you know, unmarried at 36 almost. And for them, they look at me like this alien from outer space, like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, and it's always like, oh, you're the different one. You're the yeah. one who moved abroad. You're the one who gets tattoos. You're the one who does yoga and all these things. But I think that it's there's not enough people speaking about that fear of being different to your community. Oh my God. I, yeah, I relate to everything you just said. Also tattoos, yoga, being single. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're the same. <laughs> yeah. And like, I guess that's also just been so healing for me. Like that's been one of the biggest things, honestly, is I, like you, I, I found it scary to be different and I, I didn't sign up to be the different one. You know, I wasn't this like massive rebel as a teenager or anything. I tried to be the good girl all the time. So when I ended up as this like different, you know, black sheep, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah, exactly. Like I was meant to be married by now. And so I felt lonely at times. And what's been really healing is literally to meet people like you and to meet all the amazing friends I have now who are also doing things differently. That has been the most healing thing in the entire world, finding my tribe and just knowing that I am not in this alone. And my tribe can be from all over the world, you know, different ages, backgrounds, whatever. But just that sense of feeling like we're doing things a bit different and it's a bit scary and we feel a bit alone. Like those people, when we talk about that stuff, that's when I feel safe. And that's when I where I know I'm where I'm meant to be. Yeah. I mean, this conversation is probably going to get boring for the listeners because I feel like you're just speaking about what I speak about in every podcast episode <laughs> and everything you're saying. I'm like, yeah, same, same. Me too, me too. But no, I mean, I really resonate. And I think I moved country at 27. And when I did, and I I, I didn't go to a Jewish school or something, but I'd really stuck with my Jewish friends from home. And then I went to a university with all my best friends. I got here with them as well. And then I moved to London and we were all together. And then at 27, I moved away. And it was really my first experience of leaving my home friends and being out there in the world. And it was so refreshing. It was like, wow, it was like a breath of fresh air, exactly like you just said, to meet and to make new friends with people who had different experiences in life and different things to offer. And I was just naturally attracted to those who are a little bit less mainstream. And it was like almost like the secret part of myself that I didn't know existed before was suddenly validated. And from that moment, I think every year I've made new friends. I've always made it a mission to, like you said, find a tribe. And it's what I promote now. I talk about friendship and how important it is to meet new people and to, what's the word, to strengthen and solidify existing friendships is like a key to enjoying your 30s. So yes, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. In in the book, Nina has a storyline with a really old friend of hers who's getting married and they grew apart and then they at the end, oh, I don't actually I don't I don't want to do any spoilers because I feel like people <laughs> will listen to the book. I'm not gonna say what it is, I'm not gonna say it. But have you also found it difficult to, I guess, having changing friendships in your 30s? Is that something that you struggled with? Again, talking about the friends getting married, friends getting pregnant, people going in different directions. 
Yeah, massively. And actually, here's something that is actually quite different for us, because growing up, I always felt different as well, because I actually didn't really have any Indian friends. And all my friends were actually mainly Jewish. (laughs) So I was like in a community that wasn't mine. And I've always had really lovely friends, but maybe felt a little bit different to all of them. And so I never actually got a tribe until much later in life. And I've actually often felt quite lonely without maybe even having the language to admit it to myself. Yeah. It was always busy and popular and at parties, but I don't think I always felt very seen or that I had enough in common with everyone there. And also I think just the fact of, you know, being... Indian living in England but not having an Indian community and then having an Indian family but feeling different to them basically just feeling different to everyone was my theme and so yeah I had all these friends who maybe we just weren't that similar and so my friendships have shifted a lot like I they shifted when I went to uni I also felt quite lonely at uni (laughs) which I didn't expect was meant to be the best time of your life and I was in London and I was like "Ah, I just feel like really alone and then I guess yeah honestly it was only when I did this journey in my late 20s that I was like I deserve friends I have things in common with like my friends so far have been wonderful and I'm still close with some of them but I realized like I'm pretending to be like them like I'm acting sometimes so that I don't feel alone whereas I need to I need to stop acting I need to be my absolute true self and see who I attract that way Mm. and it was really scary And I started to meet new people. And since then, it has just been like absolute flow. Like I'm like you, I'm constantly making new friends. Some last, some don't. Mostly there's no drama. Occasionally there might be a little bit, but it's all okay because I know who I am now and I like myself and I trust that enough other people do as well. It's just getting bigger and bigger and it's so expansive and I'm so grateful. Mm, That's so nice. I think that it's so important to remind anyone who's listening who, I don't know, at whatever age that you are, if you feel that you don't have friends that are on the same page as you, that it, there are things you can do about it. I think that we have this preconception that if you haven't met your group of friends at uni or in high school or in your early career, in your 20s, then that's it. You kind of condemned to a life of loneliness, but it's just so not true. And there are so many ways to meet new people. Just out of curiosity, how did you make new friends? Was there anything specific that you did? Any, you know, any places that you went that helped you meet new people? So I guess my advice when I talk about this, because people often ask me about this, because I constantly, I really honestly always have new friends. And it's just people like, how would you keep making these new friends? (laughs) And every year my birthday party just gets bigger and there's always new faces. Anyway, it's fun. But I always say to people, do what you love, you know, like don't go to a thing because you think you'll meet people there. Like do the thing you want to do, but just be open. So I would meet people at yoga, like the cafes I go to where I sit and write. All the things I normally do in my life, I just started actually saying more than hi to people and I I might just I started sharing you know obviously not massive stuff at the beginning but just like if someone's like how are you I'd be like I'm actually quite tired or I've actually had a bit of a rubbish day and I don't find it scary to share anymore be vulnerable or be honest about how I am and I've noticed that if I'm honest about how I am that inspires the other person to do the same and then before you know it we're having a really real chat and then maybe we're going for coffee yeah Yeah, I think just honestly that that openness Like I've made friends who work in shops down the road from me who I've now become like legitimately close to just because every time I'd go in the shop, we'd speak about how we actually are. Mm. Yeah. And I think you just used the word before scary when people aren't used to having vulnerable conversations or making these random chit chat conversations with people that they don't know or even going to events 
you know, even yeah. going to a yoga class, like I remember, I still get social anxiety actually when I do new things, but I remember years ago being nervous to even just be in a space that wasn't familiar. And yeah. I think that we need to reframe it. Like if something feels scary, then do it. And I always say this, and I talk a lot about with it about dating as well, of like you have to do the things that you love and make these conversations and just put yourself in that place because otherwise probably not going to make new friends just sitting in your living room scrolling on your phone and also like say it's scary you know like I also teach yoga and if someone came up to me and was like it's my first class I'm a bit scared I'd be like oh my god you know and like it's okay like thank you for sharing and some of my students have become my friends and some of my teachers have become my friends because we say the true things you know so I think you're scared to admit that you're nervous if you're doing a new activity and yeah, maybe totally. will help someone else be vulnerable with you yeah yeah it's so so true tell me could you share a little bit about your journey to becoming a published author this is a selfish question because I'm on my journey to becoming an <laughs> author I would say published we don't know yet but I would love to hear a little bit about it and how I guess how your career shifted as you entered your 30s yeah of course so actually funnily my first book I wrote that was published I wrote when I was like 21 or 22 and it's a book called Virgin and it's like it's a hilarious book in like all the ways it's I can't believe I wrote this book it's like a comedy about a 21 year old girl who's desperate to lose her virginity and I always describe it as like a feminist American pie Um, it's brilliant it sounds brilliant it's like Fleabag before Fleabag came out and people are like why is it so graphic I'm like I don't know it's a comedy (laughs) anyway I'm downloading it on my Kindle as we speak So I wrote that and a sequel to it in my really early 20s. And um, it's kind of a dramatic thing, but I basically had a near-death experience. I almost died in a bus crash in Thailand, where a lot of people did die when I was 22 years old. And that changed so much in my life because I saw mortality up close. And I came home in February, literally exactly 10 years ago. Yeah, that February 2013. And I wasn't okay I started getting therapy for the trauma, but then I also really just felt an urge to write and to write comedy. And it was my healing thing, basically. And so for the entire month of March, I just sat and I I wasn't working because my job gave me time off. And I just wrote this book that ended up being this bizarre sex comedy. <laughs> and yeah, it just was the most healing thing in the world because it just took my mind off where I was and just gave me this outlet to write and create and laugh and I also wrote it to inspire younger girls, I guess, to like put themselves first and not care so much about men and male pleasure and anyway, all of that stuff. So that book I wrote mainly because I was freaked out that I could die and I just needed to like do my dreams quickly. And yeah, and then I and I didn't know what to do with it. But by the time I finished it, I kind of wrote it maybe as a bit of a joke just to have written a book just to send to my friends maybe. But when I finished it, I was like, I actually think it's quite good. So then I just Googled, how do you get a book published? And they were like, get an agent. I was like, how do you get an agent? <laughs> and I just did what the internet said. And I emailed it off and I got an agent really quickly. I was super lucky. And then she sent it out to publishers and I got a book deal. It was amazing. It all flowed, to be honest. And I know a lot of authors don't have that experience. And then those two books came out, but I found it really difficult because I there were a lot of expectations that these books would do really, really well. And I had expectations and I kind of just wanted them to be bestsellers and then they didn't become bestsellers. And I freaked out and was like, I failed. 
but I never voiced this to my agent and I wish I had because I just basically then just quit writing books and was like I can't do it too much I'm going to focus on journalism I'm good at that that works and then yeah in my late 20s when I went on this journey and I decided to quit my job all of that stuff inspired my my next book which was 30 things I love about myself and I just decided in that moment that I didn't care about the fear I was just going to write this book because I needed to write it for the love of writing the book yeah and yeah, and I did that and I, my agent loved it and it got published and I I spoke to her about it and she was like, you know, like most books aren't bestsellers. <laughs> like, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I just realized like, wow, I had this fear that I'd built up that was, it was just all in my head. But anyway, now what I try and do with my novels, that's actually what I'm doing full time now, basically, is writing books. I just try to not focus on the outcome and just focus on the love of it. Like I write because I love it. And yeah. that idea was something I'm passionate about that I want to share with the world. And that's my job. Like I can't focus. I I can't control whether the books get published. I can't control how many people read them or the sales. All I can control is like doing the process to the best I can and enjoying it. I feel like it's such a micro example of like life, you know, it's yeah. like the same thing. <laughs> it's basically you can't control things around us and you've just got to enjoy the journey. And I think that's, it's so true. And it's funny, isn't it? Because in our minds, we do have these fantasies, like you said, the expectation, and I'm sure you had it, where it was like, oh, I'm just going to publish this book. And then it will be like in the number one New York bestseller chart. And I feel like that even with this podcast, with the work that I'm doing, it's like, no, like things build up slowly and things take time. And and that's okay as well. You know, sometimes slow and steady wins the race. And I really am seeing that the more I'm in this world and the more I interview different people on the podcast, they often say the same thing, that it's mm-hmm. lots of hard work went into behind behind things and that it wasn't just instant success overnight, which we often see from other people. And then we think, oh, that should be us. That should be our journey too. It's so good to speak about it and say it out loud. And even you saying that, you know, I just think we all need to be more honest because otherwise it's just, for me, it was in my head, the secret fantasy that I'd become an instant bestseller and then the secret, you know, misery and rejection when it didn't happen but the second we say it out loud it's like oh we're all thinking the same thing yeah ridiculous (laughs) I think it's just human nature every time I launch something in my business so for example if I launch a group program I'll be like I'm fine with going with getting 10 people that's fine but then secretly I'm gutted if I launch it and not 10 people don't sign up within three minutes of me launching it I'm like I do not understand why everyone hates me and then it goes from like no one signing up in the first 10 minutes to like the thought spiral of like, oh my God, I need to like, you know, quit my job and close my business and and, and yeah. move. So yeah, totally been there. I think lots of people <laughs> listening will also, will also relate to that. Just to finish, I thought it would be nice to talk about the topic of self-love a little bit more because that's obviously the main topic of your book. That's 30 Things to Love About Myself. And you mentioned a few things. You mentioned finding your tribe, acceptance, doing the inner work. What would you say to somebody who is in their 30s or about to turn 30 and they're feeling maybe not even rock bottom, just they don't love themselves. It's hard for them to make a list of things that they love about themselves. Apart from recommending to go and write the list, what would what would you recommend that they that they do if they're at this point of feeling, like you said, that flux and that, you know, just that transition phase? Mm, I think often the first thing actually is people don't even realize that the answer is loving themselves. You know, I think like... On- people often are in a flux or a point where things aren't working and they feel a bit rubbish and it's we're always looking for the external right so we just want you know that relationship that job that whatever and then we'll be okay and I think the first thing is just realizing that actually that's not what's going to make you okay 
the only thing that will make you okay is when you feel good with yourself. And so I always want to like remind people of why they're doing this. Like self-love isn't just a thing to have that's nice. Like it is basically going to be the number one thing in your life that will like allow you to live your life and be okay. You know, like it's just, for me, it's like the absolute base. Yeah. It's like we're talking about the foundation before. It's, yeah. it's the same thing, but also there's just so many people think, oh, if I just solve the problem externally, then I'll be fine. So I see this all the time. It's like, I'm not happy. So if I just move job, I'll be happy. I'll move country. I'll be happy. I'll do X, Y, and Z and I'll be happy. And I always say like, but your brain's coming with you. Like, sorry yeah. to tell you, like you can't unless you have a lobotomy. Yeah. It's 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 coming with So you better get used to it. And it's difficult to explain to people who I guess have never been in this world before of, of exploring themselves and doing that internal work, what a huge difference it makes to love yourself. Yeah. And I think that's why that has to be like the number one thing I start with, right? Like explaining the point of it. And I think once people realize like, actually, you know what? I see your point. Like if I feel okay with myself, then I'm always going to feel okay. Whether I'm single or married or employed or unemployed, I'm going to feel okay within myself. And so, yeah, I, but I guess like, how do you actually do it? I don't know. I think you've just got to start small. Like I always say like, try and think of it as like how you sort of would maybe a best friend or a friend, right? Like how do you start to love somebody else? You kind of get to know them. And it sounds silly, but sometimes we don't even know ourselves. Like, you know, I spoke about how with some friends I was pretending to be someone else sometimes. Like I was acting. Like who even am I underneath it all, right? It's like realizing who you actually are and then getting to know that person and starting to see what you like about them. Focus, you focus on the stuff you like first, you know, like that's the whole thing about the self-love list that Nina does. She focuses on what she likes first, her honesty, her humor, her whatever. And then slowly as time goes on, you'll build up the, I don't know, you'll build up the ability to like go a bit deeper maybe and start to accept the things that you don't like, you know, your flaws. And that's like the next level of self-love when you're able to get to a place of like, okay, I'm also like, for me, I'm really impatient. It's annoying. I'm stubborn. It's annoying. I don't like that. I wish I wasn't so stubborn and impatient, but I can forgive myself and I can love myself anyway. And sometimes I can even love myself because of them, because, you know, it's funny or it's sweet or whatever. And I can, I can do that. I can go to that next level, but you've got to start slow. So yeah, it's kind of, and you know, it's your journey with yourself. So you need to like do it the way that works for you. And you can ask yourself, like, I know it might sound silly, but like journaling, like, I don't know, how shall I do this? Like, what feels right? Does it feel corny for me to like, you know, do mirror affirmations? Okay, maybe that feels weird, but maybe it feels quite nice to like take myself on a mini break alone and spend time with myself and see what I want to do on holiday, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love the point about how it has to be right for you because actually just before I was speaking to the girls that I'm in a, a group business coaching program and one of them who isn't a coach, she was like, oh, I just cannot with all this self-help stuff it's not for me I can't do it I'm so burnt out but every time I try to meditate or do something or even journal I feel just disconnected to it I just roll my eyes and I was like I replied to it saying firstly and this is exactly what you said before if you don't believe it's possible to love yourself to change in this in this specific example it was if you don't believe it's possible that these things can actually contribute to your happiness and well-being right now then nothing's going to happen you won't you won't be able to commit to it but the second thing I said was just find what works for you. 
I love journaling. I think that journaling is where you meet yourself the most honestly. And I think that it's an amazing tool to get to know yourself. Some people hate it. Some people really dislike it. I personally find it really hard to meditate. I have a really, really fast mind. I can do guided meditations, but silent meditations, it's like, no, it's just not going to happen. And that's, you know, after years and years and years of, of trying. So I do what works for me. For some people, they love yoga. Some people need cardio and weightlifting some people like dancing some people it's like all the different ways that you can get into your flow and experience these things and I think that's a really important point is that we're not robots we don't all like the same thing we're not all you know exactly like to do things in the same way so it is important to just I guess sit with yourself and say when do I feel good when do I love myself and what can I do to to increase that Totally. It is literally a process of like getting to know yourself on a deeper level. Like it's that simple. But you know, you can you can get people involved as well. Like if you really can't think of things you love about yourself, like ask people. When I had, I remember I had a terrible breakup once and I was like living in Barcelona and I was lonely and sad. I just emailed all my like messaged my closest friends and family and was, was like, can you just tell me something you love about me? <laughs> and they sent me this stuff and I was like, okay, I feel better now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So that's the that's the homework for everybody is email or like send a broadcast out on your WhatsApp and ask everybody what they think of you. No, no, not what they think of you. That could be dangerous. Yeah, not what, they think, what they love about you. What they love about you. Yeah, not what they think of you. That could just be like the opposite of the intention. <laughs> <laughs> amazing well thank you so so much for coming on the podcast and everybody who's listening who resonates with anything that we're saying has to go and read your book I highly recommend it and if anybody wants to know more about you and find out more about your books where can they find you probably just on my Instagram page which is just at Radhika Sangani and I have another book coming out soon on the 7th of July which is called I Wish We Weren't Related which is tapping into more of the family stuff that we discussed oh, wow it sounds like a book that I'm I'm already uh, pre-ordering it on my Kindle now <laughs> sounds very relevant thank you so so much and I will see everybody on the podcast next week <laughs>